Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where we're talking about the digital revolution that's taking place and the crazy twists and turns that all of our lives in every facet have undertaken over the last several months. Our guest today is one of our monthly digital all-stars, Sean Amirati, who's a professor at the business school at Carnegie Mellon. He's a venture capitalist, serial entrepreneur, author, and star podcaster in his own right. Sean, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, Bob, thanks for having me. Yeah, and trying to continue, you know, your, your studio there is not just a, sort of a, a nice place to work there, but it, it's reflecting a lot of big things that you're seeing going on, both in your specific world, but also the larger world out there. What's going yeah. on? Yeah, you know, we, we said, I think, the last two episodes, this theme every time that when COVID as we are all are dealing with COVID in our own ways, the goal needs to be reimagining, not just reopening. And, and you know, we've, I've tried to do that from here, from the studio, in terms of how to reimagine higher ed. And last time I talked about the videos I've done for, for my courses, right, taking these hour-long lectures and chunking them up. There are a lot of other schools who are, who are using those lectures now, which is great. I think it's important to have more entrepreneurship education. But another thing that's happened that's interesting is more and more students are just deciding, you know what, like as great as, you know, my freshman year being done over Zoom sounds and, you know, taking my freshman year from my, my parents' couch, um, I think I'm going to just take a, what, what's often referred to as a gap year or just defer my, my uh, admission for a year. And I'll, and I'll go back to school next year when hopefully there's a vaccine and, and this is a little bit more under control. And classes can be a little more back to normal. Um, two or three weeks ago, Forbes reported that 20% of Harvard's freshman class has decided to defer to take a gap year. And in the article, the author wrote, like, well, what, what are these students going to do? And I think this is a big question because, you know, um, I, I was one of these students, and Bob, you, you knew me right at the tail end of my undergrad, but not much changed from the beginning to the end. I was one of these students who was in a rush to get through college and, and get to impact, right? So I graduated in three and a half years. And, and if I hadn't done a startup in college, probably would have graduated in three years. But I had friends from high school who did go take a gap year, right? They went, they went backpacking through Europe and they you know, kind of found themselves or, or whatever the case may be. And, and for some of them, I think it was actually probably good. Partially, I think that was good. I think also partially just some life experience outside the community they grew up was good. But, but we're in a global pandemic, right? Like the, the, there's not a lot of opportunity uh, and there aren't frankly a lot of countries that are hoping to have 18 year old Americans uh, fly over and visit them right now. And so as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, what would be magical would be if we could make lemonade out of these lemons and take these students who are making a choice and you know, each student needs to make their own choice if they wanna defer or not, but if you defer, why don't you spend your time, spend that extra time starting a business? Mm -hmm. um, or even if you're taking your classes online, frankly, like if you've decided that like, I'm gonna, I am going to do those Zoom classes, the reality is there's a lot less social opportunity doing Zoom classes from your parents' uh, couch than there is uh, living in, in a frat house somewhere. <laughs> um, at least rumor has it that there's other activities that go on <laughs> at those places. Um, uh -huh. And so, so both those, like what I want is I want to create a cohort of students who are thinking about themselves as entrepreneurs. So I've launched this program, gapyourentrepreneur.com, which is this community 
and educational content to take the next eight months, so from September 15th to May 15th, and actually have them go and launch these businesses. And we've gone through kind of four modules around that. And so, so that's just getting started. It's, it's uh, gotten a lot of, of uh, early interest and cautiously optimistic that we can create some interesting businesses. And frankly, even if they don't create an interesting business, to me, you'll be much better prepared to go back to college next year if you spend your gap year as an entrepreneur. So it's been fun it's, and it's yet another way that I'm trying to do exactly what I'm encouraging this audience here and, and all the startups I work with as well as the big companies. Don't just think about getting back to what the world was like in February. We need to be continually reimagining what does the future look like here. So Sean, you're uh, asking and giving an opportunity for young people to reimagine their futures and reimagine in some ways their, the opportunities in front of them and the timetable uh, with which they want to pursue that. That's the, that's the goal. That's the goal. And, and you know, it's, it's like all experiments. You know, you'll, we'll see how it works out. But I feel like this is one of those experiments where you really can't lose because you end up with a successful business. That's awesome. You can, now you have an asset to, to build upon. Uh, you don't. Well, when you go enter that, that class in the fall, uh, it won't just be theoretical. You'll have actually walked a mile in, in the, the, the shoes and the concepts that you're talking about in the classes later. Hey, Sean, when you mentioned that number, uh, it was Harvard, right? 20% are yeah. freshmen deferring year. Did uh, the article, or do you have a sense of What's typical in the year? Is it one percent or two? Oh, it's much much less than that. Even okay. I mean, this is this is unprecedented um, for sure. And and look, I, I think different students are going to look at this differently, right? I know, and I can say, I mean, we talked, we've been talking about it for the last couple of months, right? There are professors, and and you know, I'm one of them who's worked really hard to make, if you choose to go back to school this fall, to make it a great experience for you. Um, but I also totally understand like part of what you get out of college, unfortunately, is, is not just the educational material, it's the experience. And, and some of that stuff is just going to be, be unfortunately really hard to do, you know, in, in 2020 and as you know, the constraints that we're operating in with this health crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So, Sean, you know, uh, these, as we said at the top of the show, you know, these unprecedented times and some remarkable things going on. So let's say in the middle of February, I posed two questions to you or two scenarios and said, as Sean, which one of these is more likely? One, <clears throat> Sean, we're going to find out in late August that 20% of Harvard freshmen are deferring their freshman year. That's one scenario. The other one is, Oracle is going to make a bid to buy TikTok. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think in both scenarios, I'd ask you like, well, what are you smoking? Uh, and, and is it, are you sure it's actually something you're allowed to be consuming? Because th they both seem crazy. I mean, this TikTok thing is, is insane, right? It, this is just absolutely insane. And, and let, let, let's wind back a little bit for people who, who haven't been been following this, right? So I actually think step one from Microsoft's perspective made a ton of sense. The, the problem is steps two and three in this story are really hard to wrap your head around, right? So step one makes a ton of sense. So TikTok is 
is part of a, a large Chinese holding company called ByteDance, right? They today, and it's an incredibly popular social media platform, uh, especially for the very young demographic. So um, it's, you know, music and people are sort of lip syncing and, and doing dances to music. I know, Bob, that you're a big TikToker. So I, I suspect that the people should be following you to watch you dance to the different, different songs. Yeah, Sean, you know, I don't, I don't just give away that stuff for okay. nothing. So it's, it's <laughs> not, it's, it won't be easy to find. I'll just put it that way. But Sean, I, I got, I got to ask these days when, uh, you know, it seems that, uh, be infants learn how to say mama and then they at the same time or before they learn how to swipe a screen yep. so when you talk about tiktok being popular among a very young demographic what is that age group so so i mean i can tell you i have a an eight and nine year old and they don't we don't let them have a tiktok account but they are on my wife's account hours a day sometimes watching these choreographed dances and things like that especially my daughter like she just loves the like choreographed dance routines to music and it's this very sort of long tail content and and like all social media platforms there's a lot of moderation questions there's a there's a there's a hornet's nest of problems there however step one of this of this saga that we're going to talk about makes a ton of sense microsoft has a long history of making small minority investments in these emerging computing social platforms to try to, to find technology synergy between those companies and Microsoft, right? So famously, uh, at a point in time, Facebook received a large investment from, from Microsoft. So Microsoft dusts off, and we think we've talked about this before, they dust off that playbook and they say, hey, why don't we make an investment in the company, a minority, small, like, you know, order of magnitude billion dollar, but relatively small for the type of scale you're talking about here. And part of it was you'll move your servers from the Google cloud servers to Azure. Uh, again, like at, th at this point, I think everything I've said makes sense. And if you look at the Facebook story would have been a, a really kind of obvious thing. And frankly, like if it had stopped there, I think you and I would have been having an episode where we'd talk about how smart Satya is to dust off the playbook that they've done many times before. But, but here's where the psychology of deals and having been involved in a bunch of these deals, like here's where the psychology of these deals gets a little crazy, right? From my perspective, at least. So um, there, there become a bunch of concerns around um, foreign investment and, and I won't sort of put your audience to sleep around this, but there is a bunch of regulatory oversight that the government has around foreign investments. A lot of the TikTok assets were bought through an entity called Musical.ly. It's kind of not that relevant, but, but I think the, the quick thumbnail on this is the government starts to get involved. And then once the government starts to get involved, Trump himself jumps into the fray on that. And what I would just say is like, all of a sudden it becomes important for TikTok to think about not just a small minority investment, but finding a way to find American ownership. Again, these things happen. I have some opinions on them. It's sort of neither here nor there. But where this story gets crazy is steps two and three. So Microsoft somehow pivots from, oh, we should put a small amount of money in to get them running on top of Azure to maybe we should buy the whole thing. And now we've gone from like a billion dollars to 
the reporting in the New York Times is a range of 20 to 50 billion. And let me just tell you, any of those numbers are insane. Like this is, this is not a good move for Microsoft and we can talk about that in a minute. But then as if that's not crazy enough, Larry Ellison swoops in who to, to also apparently jump into the fray as potential acquires. Because you know, every SQL server administrator is also watching choreographed dance videos at night. Like there is no doubt that the, the audience overlap there is amazing. I mean, this is, this is crazy. We're gonna come back to that in just a second, but I just wanna be sure to offer a word from our sponsor, BMC. In a world that's changing faster than ever before, the biggest challenge for businesses is creating fabulous customer experiences. That objective requires actionable insights and real-time agility from one end of your business to the other. At BMC, they call this the Autonomous Digital Enterprise, and they've put together a set of solutions to help you anticipate what's coming, adjust accordingly, and acknowledge those changes from end to end. To start your journey to the Autonomous Digital Enterprise, visit bmc.com slash ADE. You know, a Disney makes a ton of sense, right? Now, Disney would need to think through the content moderation piece of this. A Twitter makes a ton of sense, although, I think it would be more like TikTok buying Twitter than Twitter buying TikTok if that happens. But, but that, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, the reality is I think Facebook, Google, Apple, they're all boxed out because of anti-competitive things, which is, which is fine. Um, there's probably synergies there that make sense, but it just, it, it just, it would never get through. Um, but why enterprise tech companies are thinking they should get in broadcast social media platforms? Because this isn't even, like LinkedIn makes sense for Microsoft. It's a professional social network. And you could even say, oh, we want to go to another human to human social network and kind of continue to build that business out. That wouldn't be the strategy I'd advise, but you can think about that. But this is closer to frankly buying a YouTube than it is buying a, a LinkedIn, right? This is much more of a, of a broadcast publishing and people consuming that content type of social platform. And, and it just, it, I do not, I do not understand why these enterprise tech companies are, are thinking about this at all. It makes, it makes no sense to me. And I, I just fear um, that what's happened here, and this happens in deals, is you get kind of partially committed to them. And, it's, and, and then the deals change. And instead of making the decision that, frankly, most of the time in hindsight is the right decision, right? That you sort of walk away because the, the original deal that got you excited is no longer in scope. I guarantee you the original pitch inside Microsoft was like, how valuable would it be to have TikTok as an Azure marquee customer, tons of learning back and forth. And frankly, like if Oracle wants to compete for that business, that, that is interesting. I think that, that there's, a, there's some logic there. But buying a social media platform like this, I mean, does, we talked about this a little bit kind of previewing it last time. You had you know, the CEOs of uh, Apple, Facebook, Google, and Amazon going to Washington. I mean, was Satya just jealous that he wasn't invited to the hearing? Like, I literally cannot come up with a reason why Microsoft would want to do this deal. And if Microsoft's crazy, Oracle is like next level crazy. Like it, it, 
it gets they get crazier not less crazy this is a it's a wild time in 2020 for sure well sean you know it's fascinating speculations there on on a number of fronts and i uh you know i worked at oracle for four and a half years i followed the company very closely before that and since then uh, i'm a, i'm as puzzled as you are and the only thing that you know uh, and that i can sort of offer up as a potential idea here and it, i will admit up front it's quite flimsy is part of larry ellison's uh, operating philosophy for a while and he truly believes this. it's not just a slogan where he says if people aren't calling you crazy on a regular basis you're not pushing out on the boundaries far enough but i think that that goes for you know like when they bought sun you know what are you getting into the hardware <laughs> right. everybody's getting out what are you getting into it for when it's turned out to be you know a quite an extraordinary investment for them so even if i follow that sort of train if you is the pattern then to buy customers like, because ultimately like you said you want tiktok to be the platform um so uh, if that is true then would we start to see a spate of uh you know cloud infrastructure <laughs> providers buying their customers uh, you know for, for whatever field they're in i so anyway i can't quite figure but if you're uh, gonna do got that you don't start record. in media right? yeah like I, I don't. I personally wouldn't advocate that kind of vertical integration for the infrastructure providers in general. But man, you could give me a dozen industries, and you could probably pick the other eleven, and I'm still pretty sure, you know, social media and specifically this sort of video broadcasting piece of social media, which just it's got all kinds of uh, challenges around it um in in 2020 like it just that's just not a winning it's not a winning place for these guys to start and sean you can keep on asking me to reveal you know where my tiktok <laughs> videos are and i'm just i'm not ready to talk about that okay so let's understood we'll understood. let that go um sean you know the other thing is you know rightly or wrongly there is at least uh you know from that i've seen in many many places some concerns that one of the thing that tiktok is doing is sort of that Trojan horse in there to get, you know, data about children or families or something like that. Right now you could say that's nonsense, you know, lots, everybody does it or nobody does it or that's overblown. But if, uh, you know, some of the more logical acquiring companies that you mentioned would have, you know, they'd have to do their due diligence, take care of all that, get into it. But when you get off into these other companies where it really is, what's the word, orthogonal to, to their true purpose, to their strategy, then why, you know, just as one more like head scratcher reason, why do you get into something like this when uh, it's a, it's a puzzler though. And I wonder is the, has the world gone so crazy here in the middle of 2020 that we have to, we have to start, are we pushing the boundaries of what crazy enough is? I, I don't know. I mean, it, this just doesn't make sense to me. And, and rather than just be critical, let me try to generalize some, some strategic business principles. I think you can pull out of this as maybe to kind of wrap this thread up. Like one really good first principle question I think to ask is who's my customer 
right? And what are the problems he or she has? Like it, you rarely, if you go to that kind of just fundamental question, you rarely end up, you know, you can end up with some really crazy things or people perceive you to be crazy to your Larry Ellison comment, right? So Oracle buying son. There are a lot of people who thought that was brilliant. A lot of people, many, many more who thought that was insane, right? But it was, but it, it was still the same general customer segment, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think that the things you've seen Microsoft do that we've given tons and tons of praise to over the last year, these, these deep partnerships with these different industry partners, whether it's in the pharmaceutical space or the automotive space or the retail grocery space, right? That's going to your customer, figuring out what are the things that are keeping him or her up at night and solving problems for them. And sort of from a first principles business perspective, I think that's a great way to approach these kind of strategic challenges, right? Um, when we're talking about Oracle buying TikTok, like depending on how you look at the TikTok platform, your, your customers are either advertisers, right? Which I don't, I don't think there's a, that's a, a win for Oracle. Or your customers are, you know, preteen and, and young teen uh, children. Um, and I, you know, I, I actually think, and this is one of the challenges with those types of businesses, business model, the, the real customer is the advertiser, right? Really, the, the reality, if you, if you were to put it like on a business model canvas, the, those audiences of consumers, they're really a key resource or they're really the, the product, not the customer. But that's sort of neither here nor there. But either of those stakeholders, if you were to say that, there's there's very minimal overlap with the rest of Oracle's business. And even in the, and I think this is actually potentially the fatal flaw inside Microsoft for what it's worth. I think Microsoft is saying like, well, we've got Minecraft, we've got Xbox. We know how to reach that that audience. Yes, you do in a very, very different way though. Mm -hmm. Remember, there, that's now making this this mistake that people sometimes make, which is, oh, you know, Facebook's customers are Facebook users or Google's, not, now I'm not talking about Google Cloud, I'm talking about Google, the search engine. Google's customers are all the web, world searching web. No, we are their product, not their customer. <laughs> if you were on the business model canvas, we're sort of the, the back half, not the front half. I don't think, I, again, I think Oracle is crazier than Microsoft, but they're both crazy. And I think it's this, it's, and it's easy to get, when you get into these deals, and you got a lot of bankers circling. And from the reporting again in, in the New York Times, there were a bunch of different uh, venture firms, General Atlantic and Sequoia. You got a bunch of smart people kind of ideating in a conference room together. And smart people can get super creative, right? And they can tell each other how brilliant that creativity is. And you know, one of the things that served me well in my career in those settings is to, to ask some questions that are kind of simple, like, well, you know, who Let's, let's answer this in language that our parents or our grandparents could understand. Who's our customer? What problem does he or she have? And how do we solve it? And you can't use any buzzwords because your yeah. grandma yeah. Or, or mother doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't know, you know, the, the words that we've tossed around for the last 45 minutes. I mean, sometimes those first principles help. And so, so, you know, if we were kind of generalizing this for many people listening to this, 
I think for your businesses, as you're thinking about reimagining and not just reopening your businesses, come back to this question of who's your customer, what problem does he or she have, and, and how do I solve it? And I think it's a helpful grounding exercise. And and you know, no one's called me from Oracle or Microsoft, but if they did, my advice to them would be, let's start there. Now, through that lens, help me understand how bolting this, again, rumor has it, 20 to 50 billion with a B dollar asset on top of this is actually going to help you serve that purpose in a better way. Yeah, uh, Sean, I think just before you came on, uh, I, I saw a headline that said that Oracle had made a $20 billion all cash offer. So in that range, Sean, before you go, let me go back to those two scenarios I posed to you back in February, the pre-COVID world. I'm going to add a third one in here. So it's back in February and I say, Sean, it's uh, starting next month in March, we're going to go through a global pandemic that's going to extend certainly until the end of August. And when Salesforce releases its earnings in late <laughs> August, day or two later, their stock price is going to go up $50 billion in a day. So against, uh, you know, those other, those other couple scenarios, where does that, that one stand? I, I actually, so, so you'd have to have said there's, there's some catalyst. It doesn't have to be a global pandemic, but I think what, I think what Salesforce has done incredibly well, and you know, we've talked about this kind of throughout the last few Cloud Wars episodes you and I have, have recorded together. So for people who've been listening carefully, the, the earnings uh, exceeding expectations should not have been that surprising to them. What they've done really well is they've taken this crisis, and I think to give credit to that management team, they obviously would prefer to not be in a crisis, right? Um, but they've taken this crisis and they've said, okay, this is a catalyst to drive towards more cloud adoption, more digital transformation, all the, all the sort of buzzwords that we've been talking about for, for years here. And they've been, they've been taking orders while they've been doing that. At the same time, they've also been doing all the right things to pivot the business to support and, and prepare the economy for the kinds of things that they're needing to, that it will need, like the work.com. So, so for what it's worth, um, I, I don't think that stock jump was quite as surprising because they've been doing the, the right thing, right? They've, they've been doing exactly what we were saying, focusing on who their customers are, what problem do they have? And, and frankly, this problem that sort of making modern workers more efficient using software tools in this work from home, work remote, distributed workforce, like that's a much bigger problem inside all of Salesforce customers today than it was in February. And so uh, it's amazing. Now, when you start thinking about what the scale of that stock appreciation means, it's crazy, right? You know, I, I would have told you five, three or four years ago, uh, Oracle is going to buy Salesforce. That's how, that's how Larry's going to deal with uh, passing the baton. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a new <laughs> wrinkle in that. If you look at the relative market caps, uh, it's, you know, there's, a, there's a different big brother now, I guess we'll, we'll put it that way. So it's, a, it's fascinating for sure. There is. All right. And Sean, real quick, before you go, uh, in the, the big software company world now it's Salesforce at 245 billion SAP 201 and Oracle 176. 
that that's really amazing. And Salesforce went up that uh, fifty. So approximately, Sean, just you know, the Salesforce valuation right now is as big as IBM and two of the superstars in you know the broad category that Salesforce is in: ServiceNow and Workday. Yeah, those three and so Keep, all right, cumulatively, uh, it's bigger than all three of those combined, correct? Yes, yeah, yes. that's amazing, unbelievable. Yes. yes, so Sean, uh, when you come back next month, we might have three crazier things than this <laughs> to imagine, but I'm not sure about that. I am not sure, but we'll see. Um, Sean is terrific, good to see you. Really love what you're doing there. You're set up in this reimagination of not only what you do and how you do it, but the the physical environment which, which you do it. I, I've heard from some other people, you know, I need to get out of the, you know, old mindset, not just in what I'm doing, but how I do it and reshape your local environment to help uh, drive the capability to reimagine the bigger outside environment. That's right. Well, thanks, Bob. And always fun to come on Cloud Wars and chat with you. All right, my friend. Thank you, Sean. Folks, thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. Enjoy these last few days of the summer season, and we'll look forward to seeing you back here soon.